right, good morning, everybody. Let us get situated. It is that time to bring down the volume so that we could have a word of prayer as we dive into Matthew chapter 19. We are making progress. Let's pray together. Now, Father God, we pray that as we consider your word, we acknowledge, God, that it's not from the pen of any men. It is from you, from heaven. The word describes itself. This is the God-breathed word sent to save us, raise us to new life, that everyone who believes in the word of God, the gospel, shall be saved, washed clean, given eternal life. We're so thankful to belong to you and to have a God who's good and loving and kind. And now we pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts in this very difficult and sensitive subject, Jesus, that you bring up today in this passage here that we will consider. Uh, give us the ability to hear what the Spirit is saying. Help it to be balanced, God. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So here in Matthew 19, it's moving day for Jesus and the 12, as most of you know. Home base for the three and a half years it has been uh, the north part of the Sea of Galilee in a town called Capernaum. And now they, it is farewell to Galilee, uh, and they're going to head to Judea, which is Jerusalem there, uh, because we are six months out from the cross, and this is why Jesus came. Uh, he wasn't killed for his good work. As I say many times, it was his good work to be killed. He came to die and lay down his life as a offering a sinless sacrifice so that we could be reconciled to God because God would take out his wrath and judgment on his sinless son on our behalf so that all of our sins would go upon him. He would pay the price and then he offers amnesty, a full pardon to whosoever comes to him and surrenders their life to him. And so, uh, yeah, six months out, so it's moving time and they're going to head down there to Jerusalem. He's been telling them uh, that it's going to be a difficult time down there. He says uh, the elders, the rulers, the leaders are going to uh, put him to death. And so he's been giving them a heads up. And sure enough, the first thing that happens as he closes in on Jerusalem is the bad guys, those very guys he's been warning his disciples about, come calling. And they come calling with uh, very malevolent or evil motivation. They want to do him harm. They want to ensnare him in a trick question that will affect his reputation and maybe trip him up so much that his answer will make it seem like he's contradicting God. And so, yeah, they're going to pick this random topic. You know, out of nowhere, they show up and say, hey, we got this question. Yeah, right. And um, it's the most hotly debated, highly sensitive, extremely divisive and always controversial subject of divorce. Now, just saying the word, the room here got more quiet because it is a serious and sobering uh, situation to ever go through something like that. And I would say that everybody in this room, everybody, 
surely has been impacted directly or indirectly uh, by this uh, terrible experience that exists in this world. Now, thematically, uh, Matthew 18 was all about reconciling with an offended brother or sister, the importance of God's love for everybody, and so we have to treat each other with kid gloves, with great sensitivity, and watch out for areas uh, that would cause uh, disunity, uh, and, and so it, right on the heels of that comes the uh, topic of the ultimate breach possible of human relationship, and that would be divorce. Now, the bottom line will be they want to entangle him in a controversy, but it, it actually works out for good because Jesus will use that as a way, an opportunity to teach about marriage, what God wanted marriage to be and why he designed it in the first place. And so there's just a, a lot of rich insight from, from a passage a lot of pastors would avoid. When they're teaching topically, you can just pick and choose. But if you go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, then this is up next. And so <laughs> lucky you. <laughs> if today's their day. I met somebody in the lobby and they're like, oh, is it just so happy to be in church? It's been a long time and just to hear an encouraging word. And I was... <laughs> I was like, well, yeah, an encouraging word. I hope to find one this morning. And believe it or not, when you, when you have the truth, the truth, be it hard or not, it sets your heart free. Because that's what truth does. You know, so, so we're not afraid of the harder truths because our hearts need to be set free. And we like it when that happens. And so... He's going to uh, take their boomerang and spin it again, and it's going to go heading right back to them. And you're going to see a lot of this, this testing, the questions coming up. Uh, oh, there's like four or five of them coming in the future. Uh, and so we look forward to that because the Lord really uh, shines in those kinds of moments. And so a word before we get dive into this most infamous passage about divorce. Number one, this is a place of grace. The church is kind of like a hospital for those who are spiritually sick. Not one person here has it altogether, including me. We have all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God and the sin of divorce, if it is a sin, depending on the situation and the person, uh, is not the unpardonable sin. Divorced people are not second-class citizens in the church. And so this is a safe place for you. Uh, Christians are called to come alongside wounded people who are struggling, who are limping along. Even the ones who are making bad choices, we are still called to love and to support and to help, speaking the truth in love, of course, right? And so it's a good place to be, the church, you know? And so... I want you to know, if you're sitting here going, oh, no, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this, <laughs> you know, considering your situation, uh, I know and we know it's awful, complicated, painful, and, and we're going to proceed with grace and caution. Um, and there have been a couple Bible verses uh, that have been through the years, in my opinion, mishandled, well-intentioned, 
but dogmatically and legalistically applied and caused more of a burden than lifting a burden. And so uh, we seek balance. That said, to minimize the importance or the seriousness of the mar- of marriage between between a man and a, and a woman, from Jesus' point of view, you cannot minimize the importance of that lifelong intended commitment. And God will put the fear of God on us. And that's what's uncomfortable about this passage. Is this like, oh, wait until you see the disciples' reaction to his teaching. It just gives you a fresh reverence for, whoa, maybe I need to be thinking, this is pretty serious stuff. And we've been desensitized in our culture that, you know, I mean, every other marriage in the world, 50%, uh, ends in divorce, and, and it's not that much lower in the church. It is lower. But see, it's just something that we all kind of deal with, and we need balance, grace on one side, and and, and respect and reverence and holy awe about doing whatever it takes to, to keep that marriage intact for the sake of your own life, for the sake of your children, for the sake of the Christian testimony. There's a lot riding on the line. And so, yeah, so we, we know how God feels about it. He says in Malachi, through Malachi the prophet, he says, I, the Lord, I hate divorce. But then we know that he does not hate the divorcee. He hates the damage that divorce causes, but he loves us, especially those who have been wounded. And so, uh, as I've been saying, it's a safe place. God designed marriage to last a lifetime, and uh, these guys want to poke around and trip him up about something very controversial. So let's dive in, uh, starting at verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea, where the temple of the Lord and all the religious leaders are in Jerusalem. And the route they took is the other side of the Jordan there. Large crowds followed him, the setting for this question, and he was healing them miraculously. Some Pharisees came to him with the random question to tempt him, is the word, to test, to, to uh, trip him up. They asked, hey, uh, is it lawful, is it uh, biblical? Law meant the Bible. Is it biblical uh, for a man to divorce his wife? And really, a wife could divorce, cause a divorce, cause the husband to officially divorce that her, right? But she couldn't initiate. So that's why the language is, is, is that if she wanted a divorce, she couldn't get that divorce, but she'd have to make the husband initiate, do you see? So it worked both ways there. Is it biblical for people to get divorced for any and every reason? Jesus says, uh, haven't you guys read uh, in the Bible <laughs> that at the beginning, the creator, so let's go back to creation, made them male and female, to quote Genesis 1.27. And then he said, how about Genesis 2.24, guys? For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two of them are going to become one in God's sight. 
So they're no longer two individual people, but one. God put them together, glued them together. Therefore, what God glues together, let nobody tear apart. So they push back. So, okay, well, why does it say in the Bible that it's okay? So they ask, did they ask, did Moses command? Why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted, not commanded, you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it wasn't that way from the beginning, not God's intention from the start. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, and this is the, the part that everybody has a, some issues with, and we're going to talk about it. Uh, if anybody divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. So the disciples went, What? If this is the situation between husband and wife, maybe it's better not to get married. Jesus said, yeah, not everyone can accept that, but only those who are called to live in celibacy. Some are, that word means celibate. Some are celibate because they're born that way. Others were made that way by men and others have renounced marriage like me because of the kingdom of heaven. And very famous people like John the Baptist, Paul the Apostle, pretty pleased with their celibacy. And the one who can accept that should. Okay, so let's get started. You ready to dig in? <laughs> now, this is what I think should happen. Since Joe and Ben are now pastors, I think they should come up and explain this passage to us. Come on. Where are they? <laughs> They're hiding. That's not in the qualifications of pastoring. All right, four ways to divide this passage up. Number one, a trick question. Number two, a biblical answer. Number three, a sobering statement. Wow. And number four, inappropriate response. Wow. <laughs> If this is the way it is, if this is how important it is to God, if there's really no way out, really, for most hardships, in God's point of view, then maybe it's ill-advised to even get married. Wow. Okay, so you got that, note-takers? Let's dive in to one through three. We put it on the screen, but I paraphrase and extend it. Give me a little grace with the words so that it goes in a little deeper. After Jesus wraps up his teaching on reconciliation, Matthew's got it thematically put out there, right? It fits right in there. He departs Galilee, heads south toward Jerusalem. Verse 2, multitudes are following. This is important. And he's doing miraculous healing. That's the setting. So pay attention to that. Verse 3, that's when the Pharisees come calling and they want to tempt him, lure him into harm's way. Tell us, is it biblical for people to get divorced for any pretext whatsoever? All right, so welcome Jesus to uh, Judea and we welcome you with a random theological hot potato. 
It's as if they tossed a verbal hand grenade to Jesus and said, hope you don't blow yourself up. Because, uh, like I said, they think an answer out of his mouth is going to divide people. It's going to uh, diminish his popularity. It's going to make him look like a heretic because he may say something that seems like, as I said, uh, contradicting the scriptures. And so, yeah, so there they go. I do want to remind you of the setting here. Now, here these guys come. They, They hate Jesus. They want to kill him. Uh, They do not believe in him, right? But they have to pass through a setting of undeniable evidence that he is who he says he is because they're passing through a crowd where lepers are going, look at my skin. It was leprous. I didn't even have a finger here. Now look at it. It's like baby skin or some dude jumping around saying, I I, I couldn't walk. And and he's jumping around, leaping around, dancing. And, and, uh, you know, one guy's eyes are open. Or somebody who was out of their mind with demon possession is now in their right mind. And they have to say, excuse me, we have a bone to pick with him. We've got some business. We've got to destroy this guy. Well, wouldn't God, of course, for the sake of their own souls, because he loves the bad guys. He wants to save them. And so he makes it so that they have to trip over evidence that you're doing the wrong thing. You're going after the wrong guy. You want to wound the one who will, who will gladly be wounded for you. Stop this madness. And yet, as one writer said, so much for the excuse, if I see a miracle, then I'll believe. He says, not true. He says, the Pharisees saw jaw-dropping miracles plenty, up close and personal, but it was all in vain because they had beforehand determined to harden their hearts in an effort to retain control of their own lives. Some people love sin and their autonomy, meaning I can live as I want to live, more than the welfare of their own soul. And it doesn't matter what evidence there is. Ask Judas. Judas saw more miracles than any human being on the face of the planet. And right to the end, he went down to the grave apart from saving grace. So we've got to be careful for that, right? And so, okay, let's get to the question. And you've got to understand it. Uh, the Jews knew that they could divorce, that there was a stipulation in the Bible, the Tanakh in Hebrew, their Bible uh, said in Deuteronomy 24, gave them a little stipulation, and so they knew. The question wasn't, can we get divorced in God's sight? The question was, what are the biblical grounds for divorce? Because therein lied the problem, because they were like, hey, you can get divorced, but it better be kosher. It better be legit, right? And so here's their... um, stipulation clause, Deuteronomy 24, that they're citing verses uh, 1 and following. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing, she no longer finds favor in his eyes because he finds something indecent about her, probably adultery or sexual immorality. He writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house. Number one, The certificate of divorce was to protect women. Here's what the guy would do. And a mean-spirited 
unloving men would kick her out, tell everybody I divorced her, but not, and, and she couldn't remarry because she's still married to him. So Moses, God, through Moses, said, oh, no, no, no. You're going to split up the marriage. You will give her a certificate of divorce for the sake, and I looked this up, if the certificate says you are free and clear to marry. So the certificate was to help the woman not be kicked to the curb and left without any means of support in that day and age. And so it was to protect her, the certificate. Uh, but it was abused, of course, and this was the problem. What does indecent mean? And what does losing favor in the guy's sight mean? And so they argued endlessly about it. But as you could imagine, <laughs> indecency uh, was stretched so thin, it really was, it evolved to mean whatever you wanted it to mean, to give you an out of your marriage. And so Josephus, a historian who people read all the time about what went on in those days, and I'm quoting, uh, an indecency could be that she ruined the morning breakfast. She burned the toast. I didn't even know they ate toast back then. <laughs> Speaking ill about his mother was grounds for divorce in their minds. <laughs> There'd be a lot of people divorced if that were pushed to an end there more. Okay. And, and so, uh, yeah, it, it goes on. Oh, terrible. If someone prettier came along. So, uh, so they pushed and concentrated on the she's lost favor right in his eyes. And we laugh. But really, we do the same thing. We say irreconcilable differences. And then you find out in the court documents, and I, I read an article on this, uh, they went looking and they, they pulled some things out of court documents. So the reason they're irreconcilable, they, can, they won't get married again, or they won't be married. <laughs> they have to divorce. The reason is, number one, because they voted for the wrong person, if you know what I mean this last time. Wink, wink. Do I need to mention the name? Okay. Number two. Oh, this is sad. Because I was deceived by her makeup. Be because she wore a ton of makeup before. I never saw her without makeup. And then when we got married, I'm like, who is this person? She lost favor. That, that was indecent, right? Irreconcilable differences. It goes on, last one, just for fun. The guy smacked his lips too loudly when he eats and slurps too loud at the dinner table. He makes too many eating sounds. So last night, no joke, I'm eating and I'm listening to myself. And I thought, dude, you better bring it down. <laughs> you better bring it down. Yeah, so to lose favor, she tells a lie. Well, and here's the deal. Who doesn't offend somebody in a marriage relationship of two self-centered sinners? Right? Come on, thrown together, different personalities, different backgrounds, different values, different worldview, different hormones. Sorry. <laughs> Who 
was not going to offend somebody. So, the, so everybody was walking, especially women. Walking on eggshells because anything you did to upset hubby uh, could be grounds for divorce. And so they want an answer uh, right. And so is God okay with divorce for any reason? And Jesus answers and says, turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Here we go. Haven't you read? He says. So I paraphrase for you. Jesus responded, uh, "Do you guys read your Bibles?" Um, and by the way, they're the doctors of the Bible. They have PhDs. Luke chapter five. These guys are the Bible seminary teachers. Okay. So get the sarcasm here, because he's slapping them. He says, uh, "Have you guys bothered to read the Bible? Remember Genesis chapter one." You know, he says uh, that at the beginning, the creator, ah, there's a creator who created marriage. Let's find out why he made it, for what purpose, and all of that. So he said, uh, the creator first made humans, male and female, for a reason. A man will leave his family of origin, and the woman is implied. She has to leave, too. If they both leave and they become one, she left, too. They leave, mom and dad, and they unite as husband and wife. Two lives become one life. They're no longer two separate individuals. They're joined together as one. Therefore, what God has put together, let nobody tear apart. It's the leave and cleave uh, doctrine here. And so, yeah. So a trick question has been asked, and now uh, a biblical answer has been given. Not that it matters. Not that it matters. They're not listening. They're not listening. Maybe Nicodemus heard something. But for the most part, when somebody says, I've got a problem with this, they're not, they, you answer it. I'm really seeking God, and I'm trying to understand this. And then you show them the answer. If it were true, sir, if it were true, if I give you God's answer to your dilemma, if you were truly, sincerely looking for it, you would go, oh, but since it's just a guise to continue to stay in your unbelief and live according to your own dictates and sin, then it doesn't really matter. If you don't approach God or spiritual questions with truth and honesty, then what matter? It doesn't matter. He's going to tell them they're still going to try to kill him. It doesn't matter what, what God, he's God in a body, Colossians 2.9. What God through an audible voice, quoting himself from Genesis chapter 1. It won't matter if your heart's not right. That's scary. That's why you always got to say, do I have a hard heart right now toward God and the Bible? Because if you do, <laughs> uh, that's, that's a serious thing. And so many dilemmas and much confusion would be abated if only we would do what he says. Uh, you got a controversy, you got a question, like, is God okay with this? Then well, why don't you turn to the Bible and find some answers? It is, after all, the owner's manual. And so, yeah, so uh, here's Jesus' proposition. If you understand who designed marriage, who designed it, that has a creator, and for what purpose he created it, and how he did it, he took two parts and wanted to put them together like that uh, and how that marriage came about then you're going to come away like the disciples and go wow this is way more serious than we ever thought and so 
I have here an indirect application about cultural controversies where somebody might say, is it biblical? Because now you live in the last days where it is fashionable and trendy to deconstruct the gospel and make the gospel and being a Christian something it never was intended to be. Something more palatable. Something more that the world stamps, hey, I could really get into that. Something you can go on Oprah and have Oprah applaud you. If Oprah applauds your gospel, you don't have a gospel. I just got to say, because she's very new age. It's like all paths lead to God. So you could say to Jesus, maybe let's put it this way. Hey, Jesus, is it permissible to think that all paths lead to God? And he would say, uh, haven't you read John 14, 6? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to heaven but through me. Or you could say, hey, Jesus, is it true uh, that everyone goes to heaven? We don't have to worry about this hell thing. He would say, well, haven't you read John 3.36? He who has the Son is life. He who doesn't have the Son shall not see life. Because God's wrath remains on that person because there's unpaid sins. There's unpaid sins. It's not like he hates them. There's just unpaid sins, and he has to judge those sins. He'd rather have judged his son, which he did, on your behalf. So somebody's had to pay. It's either Christ or or the sinner. And so I digress, as I always do. Um, (laughs) Or, you know, is it permissible that we uh, sleep with whoever we find attractive, regardless Love is love? What's the problem? Nobody's hurting anybody. Well, haven't you read? If you're a Christian, haven't you read Romans chapter 1, verses 25 through 27? You cannot get around uh, that passage or this one, to tell you the truth, because this is telling you Jesus will teach that sex outside of husband and wife is called fornication, sexual immorality. The only sanctified way permissible in God's sight is is that two people come together who are legally and spiritually married. That is the context for biblical sexuality. Alone. There's only one. That's how he made it. Now, that's considered hateful and intolerant in the world. And yeah, but we didn't make it up We stand as Christians pointing to a Bible that says, haven't you read? And they say, who cares about that? Well, we say that's important to us because we're Christians and we're believers. So we stand with the truth as unpopular uh, as it is and as it is enticing for you to persecute me because I have such a narrow understanding. Jesus Christ said, narrow is the way to life. The door to get in is narrow, and few there be who find it. He said, broad, wide is the road that leads to destruction, and many take that path. So yeah, a little side note here uh, that it's a good idea when there's a controversy and you're wondering if God's cool with something, just to read the Bible and you'll find out. Yeah. Uh, so here it is right here. So he quotes from uh, Genesis 1. Let me show you the expanded what he's quoting from. Uh, and then Elohim, which i got to throw this in, sorry. 
God in Genesis, the word God is plural, plural, the gods. But the verbs are singular. So it's a collective plural. It doesn't say God, it says the gods. And that's why it's using us. Then God said, let us make man in our image, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And he makes us in his image of three in one. And guess what? Guess what we are? Three in one, body, soul, and spirit. So we arise from the dirt, a triune being, like our triune God, you see? And so I throw that one in for free. Uh, so they, <laughs> he makes us, and, and, and he says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so that's what it comes down to here, you know. In, on Facebook in 2014, uh, there were 50-plus it has risen to somewhere 71 um, designations for gender identity. Uh, but if you ask now, what does God say? The unpopular answer is God created man in his image in two genders. There, it's called, uh, honestly, just let me finish this out, heterosexual. Hetero means different. So he made two different sexes for the reason and he will quote that he will say i made them male and female for the reason i'm quoting for them to come together to be complete as a whole therefore in the hetero part of being different one has strengths the other one lacks and what one lacks the other one has Right? So he did that for a purpose. Uh, a lot of people see the differences as a reason uh, for, of conflict, and sometimes they are, until we understand that we're different and we, we make allowances for that. Amen? Amen? Our brains are different. Our bodies are different. Our home hormones are different. Our feelings are different. Our needs are different. Unbelievable. Women, listen to me. We love you. We need you. We adore you. We don't understand you. <laughs> we don't. We, we honestly, I've been married to one of your kind for, <laughs> for 35 years. And last night, I, I, I was sitting on the couch minding my own business. <laughs> I'm on my phone, right? And I'm thinking about the sermon. That's what I do. Right, And I'm thinking about this very thing. And I hear a whole bunch of excitement from two ladies who will remain nameless, but one of them is married to me. <laughs> and the other one is married to a certain sound man <laughs> who is visiting. And they're up and they're clattering and there's excitement in the air. And there's like, whoa, something big is happening. So I've got to see it. And they're talking about their jewelry. Right? <laughs> And the way they're doing, and they're going on for days, and they're just giddy, and they're laughing, and they're designing things, and they're just, just all excited. And I was like, wow. <laughs> what is wrong with them? You know? And, but it was adorable. It was endearing. It was beautiful in a really weird way. <laughs> I was just, I, I imagine two guys over there, like, going, I, is that a wedding ring? 
Oh, my gosh, that is so cool. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't even know how to fake it. I mean, it's just like... The, the other day, she goes, do you, want, do you want to go shopping? And I was like, like, for what? <laughs> like, you got to have a thing if you're going to go somewhere. You got to kind of have a bullseye, right? Like, whoosh, hunt, shoot, kill, grab, take home. <laughs> And she goes, oh, no, 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 none of that. It's just kind of like therapy. I'm like, therapy? <laughs> yeah, let's just go to Home Goods without any rhyme or reason. Let's just wander through the aisles. I was, I was having a panic attack. <laughs> and somehow, God takes what's in a woman and what's in a man and brings this beautiful, loving, protective, awesome, pleasurable, wonderful thing together as we come together and we understand each other and we try to learn each other's new languages and all of that. It's a beautiful thing. I told you about the time, and I know I'm going down a rabbit hole, but I've been known to do that. Um, (laughs) She goes, I I said, we're so opposite. And she says, um, she's doing her predictable thing. She's very predictable. She's sunny and mild every day, 35 years. It's been very nice, sunny and mild. That's what I needed, because I'm not sunny and mild. I'm like, woo, 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 you know? And so we tease each other, because like I, her idea, I go, where do you want to go on our vacation? She goes, oh, I'd love to have a staycation. I went, what's a staycation? You just stay home. <laughs> And you just relax, and you fix things up around the house. And I'm like, I'm having another panic attack. (laughs) I want to go. I was thinking the South Pacific, you know. (laughs) So I said to her, she's doing something predictable. And I said, Barb, honestly, I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to do that. You're just so predictable. God has sent me into your life to save you from a life of boredom. And she said the funniest thing she's ever said to me. She looks me in the eye and she says, and you, dear husband, the, the Lord has sent me into your life to save you from the circus. <laughs> she nailed it. I couldn't, what am I supposed to say to that? It's so true. It's so true. My parents met on Broadway. My parents were entertainers. My parents, my mom was a a tap dancing acrobat on Broadway, and my father was a musician in the orchestra that played with the shows. So they met on with Hello Dolly, that kind of thing in New York City. And so, yeah, I could end up in the circus. (laughs) But it's sanctified. So all that to say, let me get serious here. Women have this intuition. They're born with it. It's crazy. God put this antenna inside of them. They know stuff. They just know it. They feel it. They sense it. And so the man can go to the wife and say, honey, I got this problem. I'm very logical and linear in my man thinking, but I need you to put the radar on, you know? And she'll put the radar on. I'm like, oh, that's right. It's a dimension I can't even see. Now, sometimes that can work against women, as in Eve. He goes to Eve, the spiritual one, and says, hey, listen, Eve, I got this idea. The fruit that God said, you know, no fly zone, it can make you spiritually 
wise and you'll be like God and all of this stuff. If he went to Adam, his chances would have been slimmer, but Adam probably would have done it too because that's the way it went. Uh, and, and so, yeah, there's a vulnerability there. That's why the guy, but then again, the guy is told by the Lord, Abraham is told, listen about this Ishmael thing. You're not seeing it. Listen to your wife and submit to everything she's telling you about the Ishmael thing. You see, there's this, and I use this term not in the way it's used, yin and yang. There's this balance, right? And it's a beautiful thing. And that's what uh, we've got. And so uh, this is what he's saying. There's no bond more necessary, more strong, and no relationship more binding than, or more holy or more good than the two that are different for the reason of becoming one whole. That's the idea. But the Pharisees are not getting it. And so they push back seven through nine. Okay, great, fine. Okay, so God's like, let no man tear apart what God has joined. Okay, then why does the Bible say we can? That's what they're saying. So Jesus says in verse eight, first of all, Moses didn't command it. It was permitted. There's a big difference because uh, just because you have grounds, and you'll see that you may have grounds, just because you have grounds for uh, divorce doesn't mean God wants you to divorce. Try to save the marriage. It's not, you have to get divorced if this happens, but you can. So first of all, he didn't command anything. Moses permitted it because of your stone cold hearts. Let me stop there. He's saying because of people's hearts are so unyielding that when they get offended, they'll hold the feet to the fire of the other offending party forever. And that's what leads to divorce over sometimes very non-essential matters. There'll be a tiny little misunderstanding. Then they don't talk to each other. See, because of the hardness of your hearts, they don't talk to each other, right? For three to four days, he gets lonely, he's upset, uh, she's the same way, and somebody goes to the gym, and somebody flirts with them, and boom, adultery. And then the marriage is in trouble, and then they get divorced. And what was it start? Because someone hardened their heart over a stupid nothing burger, usually. Something that could have been worked out. This is what he's saying. Divorce had to be permitted because you guys are broken and self-centered and ungracious and unkind and unforgiving and every little thing you've got to hold to death. I've had couples in my offices, uh, office, uh, offices along the way of all over the littlest things. And one time I, I had cancer 20 years ago. I'm laying on the couch because I had chemotherapy that day, but they came over to counsel with me, right? And I said, yeah, sure, come on over. I'll be laying on the couch, but, I'll, you know, and they went at it right in front of me. And I'm laying there. I'm like, come on. Could you just do this in the car? <laughs> you know? And, and there's just over this. You know what? He leaves the drawers open all the time. I tell him all the time, shut the drawers, shut the drawers. And I go through the house and every time they're left open, I just slam them shut. 
And I saw him go, you know, and I went, you know. And him was no better. Oh, you know, she's always, you know, telling me how to drive. You know, she's telling me how to drive. She says, oh, there's a parking space. And I say, yeah, duh, I see it, you know. And then we fight over that and over that. And I said, you guys need cancer. You guys need to discover a tumor. Like you're just like washing and and you feel a tumor. Because that's how it started. And now I have a 30% chance of surviving. And I've got a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old, and a 14-year-old. And you guys are destroying yourselves over stupid, petty nothings. You need to find out what it would be like to look at that spouse and know they have a 30% chance of living and they have to go through chemotherapy and radiation just to survive. And you'll drop all of that dumb stuff. Usually, (laughs) nine times out of ten, depending on how bad the marriage is. And so, yeah. um, So, yeah. So now... You know, he says, he goes on to say, um, yes, there's permission in the scriptures to divorce, but that's not the intent when God created us. It wasn't like to give you an out. He, he had a lifetime, right? Uh, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, let's talk about the hard part now, except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman, commits adultery. Okay, so let's talk about this. And now, this is my understanding when I hear him speaking. And give me a chance to get through it, all right? I hear Jesus saying, your frivolous uh, divorce things, she burnt the toast. Come on. You met somebody. You want to marry her. You like her better. So she burned the toast. And so you get your certificate so that you can be with the other woman. That, my friend, is just called adultery with a certificate of divorce, really. So he says, let's just call it for what it is. When, when you're divorcing for not reasons other than you want to marry some other handsome dude, then then sorry. That's in God's eyes. He doesn't recognize that when, it, when it's stupid stuff. And he says, but... In the case when it's a serious thing, and this is how I hear him, and I'll tell you why. I hear him saying, like, if it's serious, like where there's a breaking of vows, like with sexual immorality, something like that. Well, he doesn't. Well, how do I know that that's not the only exception to biblical divorce? Because in 1 Corinthians 7, there's a second exception. It's if an unbeliever leaves a believer in marriage. The believer is told, no worries. Stay with them. Try to win them. But if they leave, you are not bound. That means you're free. So since there is another exception, then I would say that it's impossible for sexual immorality to be the only biblical uh, exception uh, for divorce. Now, listen, common sense, please. Drugs and alcohol. He's a raging drunk. He comes home and he beats her. Some would have you believe that she doesn't have grounds. Maybe separate, but she doesn't have grounds, right? But 
let's say, before he comes home drunk and beats the kids, that he stops at an old friend's house and they get together. Well, oh, now, now it's okay. Now you can leave him with, uh, yeah, no. I don't think so. That doesn't make sense. And if it doesn't make sense, God has a lot of common sense things. So if there's serious criminal behavior and violence and abuse, molestation isn't listed there, and you don't have grounds, come on. When there's a dissolving of the uh, vows like that, then there's a possibility, there's at least permission to pursue what God hates as a necessary evil uh, for the sake of a lot of things, for the sake of the woman, the man, the kids, and their souls, right? And so, yeah. Now, if you were divorced when you were an unbeliever, it's irrelevant. I mean, there may be consequences, right? But the, the clock does not start ticking until you're raised to new life. So when you become a Christian, now God's keeping score. You were dead in your sins. You were not connected to life before. So all of that is washed under the blood of Jesus. And if you have divorced for frivolous, non-essential reasons, as a Christian, it's a sin that's forgivable. Now, a pastor always has a hard time with that because the second you say that to sinners, it's like, phew, then I'll just go ahead and do it and then ask for forgiveness. Well, if that's your attitude, then God will deal with you accordingly because he's pretty smart and he knows how we are. And he, he is, you know, and, and, and it is forgivable. So, so where do we stand? We stand at this place that the, that the disciples come to. Man alive. You know, I was going to get married, but after hearing that, are you kidding me? <laughs> well, here's what, and we'll go to the next, uh, the finish that up. Now, this is this, the disciples gulp and exclaim, if this is how serious it is, then maybe it's better to stay single. And Jesus says, well, yeah, maybe it is. Now, you know, marriage is two people, as I said, Sinners, they can be very self-centered, rude, and, and make life miserable for each other when we're in our mood swings and doing our thing, right? I'm in a foul mood. Oh, okay. So everybody watch out. You know it's going to happen. Now, to, to, to live in a marriage like that and know there's no quick escape hatch permitted, there's no escape. From God's point of view, there's no escape unless it's horrendous, like, Press Democrat kind of stuff. <laughs> well, whatever. Yeah, know. If you're thinking, I'm going to get into a marriage and, and those habits and those things and those annoyances, that there's no easily accessible uh, escape, then it would be better in some cases not to get married. And that's what the disciples are reaching. And Jesus is like, yep, true, Jesus says. Yeah, because, you know, you, you buy a car, it says on the car, as is, if it's a used car, as is. 
right? And so it says it everywhere, as is. And you go in and on the cubicle in little printouts, it's as is, as is, as is. And, and then you sign on the paper, as is, as is, as is, right? And so they're making a point. When you get home, you find out there's a ding in your fender or there's something wrong with the hubcap, uh, you can't call in and say, hey, I want out. No, 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 no. You, you saw the sign. You saw the ding. You should have seen the ding. That's what dating's for. <laughs> Dating is for finding all the warbles and, hey, why doesn't this start up right away? And, you know, this blinker, it's on and on and on and on and on, and I go to shut it off and it keeps talking. <laughs> I'm making this up as I go. Dating is for weighing it out. She's got a ding here, but he's got a warble there. Is God in it? Do I love the ding and the warble? However, when you get married, please don't go to some therapist and say, you know, when we got married, (laughs) he was quiet. He hardly ever spoke. My mom said, you know, I don't even know him. He doesn't really talk much. And you said... Oh, that's why I love him so much. Because he's the strong, silent type mom. But when he does say something, it's beautiful. (laughs) A few years later, she's in a counselor's office with him. Pulled him in and said, listen, I want a conversation. (laughs) I want feelings. I want to know how his day is. None of this good. You know, I want to have, I want him to chat, I make tea, I want him to sit down and talk to me and open up and express how he's feeling and tell me his dreams and his visions and all of that. And what I tell guys in premarital counseling, guys, if you ever have a feeling, voice it to your wife. If you don't even know you think you're having a feeling, just tell her, just tell her, honey. I'm having a feeling right now. <laughs> and I think it's about you. <laughs> we don't, uh, come on, come on. You knew that about him. Uh, you liked it before. You don't get to go now and complain and make the whole marriage about it. He never shares anything with me. Uh-huh. As is. Now, some things we grow and change, right? We change and grow. We're supposed to. But we don't always. And there are some ways you are that you always are that way. Right? And so you have to be careful. That's all he's saying. And Jesus is saying, look, celibacy is not so bad if you're called to it. It's a gift. It's a gift nobody wants. (laughs) Uh, Most people don't want it. And I would say this. Listen to what Paul, and we're closing out now. At least I'm trying. Paul the Apostle, and look, there's nothing on this page, absolutely nothing. <laughs> Just one little paragraph, how long could this go on? Uh, look, the, the Apostle Paul, it's an important subject, I'm almost done. Here's what Paul says, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, Paul, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. He says, but, but those who get married in this life are going to face a lot of trouble. I would spare you from that. And suggest you be like me. You'll be a lot more happy. This is Paul in the Bible. He says, listen, first of all, I don't have to wonder about pleasing my wife because I don't have one. You know what I wonder instead? I wake up in the morning and go, how am I going to please God? 
And so my interests are not divided. You're not sinning. It's not less than to be married, but I'm just telling you there's some perks. You have less heartburn sometimes. You have less struggles. You just could go pick up, do what you want. You know, there's a lot of perks to being celibate, but Jesus says, you know, ah, if you can accept that, if you're in control of your emotions and guys and gals, that you're in control, it's not burning at you. You're just like happy. You're serving the Lord. He says, then go for it, Jesus. Just embrace it. And, and, you, and he goes on to say one more thing. He says, whatever condition you found yourself when you're saved, just stay that way. Stay that way. And God, if God wants you to be married, it's going to make a whole lot of sense. You're going to know. But whatever you do, take to heart that when you do, consider marriage. That you enter with eyes wide open and know this. This is for a lifetime. And you wait until you're married. And then you come together in the way that God has arranged it. When we do things God's way, we're blessed. Let's pray together. Father God, what a passage. It just, uh, it's beautiful, God. It, it is strikingly serious, but at the same time, it just brings a, a whole lot of joy and comfort in life. Uh, bless our marriages here, God, today. Those who are in marriage, we pray for an other-centered spirit to come upon us, a spirit of forgiveness. Wouldn't it be awesome, God, if everybody declared national amnesty in marriage day where not one thing counts anymore. It's just every single sin or crime has been totally forgiven. No holding anything done for the sake of you, for you, for the sake of the health of the marriage and everybody, it, it uh, impacts. So help us, God, is hard. <laughs> and we want to honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.